a lot of times as people, we think if we have a big or debilitating problem, then we need a big and difficult solution. But that couldn't be further from the truth. If we have a large or difficult problem, then more than likely we need a solution that's simple. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have a brilliant, exceptional guest today, and I think you're going to love everything he has to share. Cam Knight is the author of several best-selling books on learning, memory, and productivity. Over the past 15 years, he has dedicated his life to uncovering the secrets of the mind and how to optimize its performance. When he's not writing, teaching, or speaking, he is globetrotting, having visited nearly 100 countries around the world. Cam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Richard. I find what you do so fascinating and that you've dedicated your life to really uncovering the secrets to learning, memory, and productivity, things that everybody can benefit from. But I want to kind of take a step back and before we get to that, talk about what drove you in that direction? What put you on that path to becoming just so obsessed with figuring out the mind? Well, to be honest, I needed the information. Or as far back as I can remember, I've had an unquiet mind. So I had a lot of challenges around learning, concentrating, focusing, sitting still. Um, my thoughts were always racing to so just even get a grip on my thoughts. And as well as communicating and interacting with people. And it really affected all areas of my life, from my professional to my personal to my academic. People always told me that I was a fairly intelligent person, but I just couldn't make anything happen with it. And no matter how much I tried, myself would get in the way that would kind of make things very challenging for me. So a little over 15 years ago, I decided to just get on a path and get a grip on what was going on. So I started learning more about what about the mind and how it operates. And I just started learning some, you know, unique and interesting ways to, or unique and interesting techniques to help guide our mind in the direction that we want. Oh, I love that. And something that I've been thinking about, as you said that, you're, you're early. So you described kind of the classic description of the ADHD child. Right. So is that how you were labeled when you were young? Um, I think back then, ADHD labels weren't as big, but I felt like that described me to the point where I was. I thought that was my problem and I needed to be on Ritalin or Adderall and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, what I had described was kind of even more severe than that. If I went more into detail of what was really going on, somebody would most likely give me the label bipolar. And a couple of times I did get labeled bipolar. But even then, it wasn't 
a close, it was a closer description, but there was just a level of intensity. And I would even go as far to say a level of like insanity that I had that I just had no control over. It's as if I had no control over who I was, what, what I was thinking and the things that I were doing. It was just like randomly happening. And so, as you can imagine, the need for finding a solution was even more severe and desperate. So that's why I've been kind of so dedicated to this. As you're sharing more, that's what I'm thinking, that this journey of discovery was really more about desperation and self-preservation than just curiosity. Oh, yeah. And so as you started learning more about the mind and you started doing your research, I'm curious as to what was kind of the turning point? Because I imagine growing up and, and hearing those kind of labels, you know, mental health labels can be so stigmatizing for people. Right. And a lot of times people internalize that. So what was the point for you when that started to turn and you started believing in yourself in a different way? So, you know, growing up as a child, when you're kind of erratic and random and even a little out of control, it's sometimes seen as okay. It's like, oh, he's a child, he'll grow out of it. Or the effects of it aren't as detrimental because people don't put so much weight on what you're doing when you're a child. You can kind of, there's a hope that eventually when you become an adult, things will change. But when I became an adult, I, I had the same challenges. So, you know, when I started my job, I had the skill, I had the knowledge to do it, but all these things were just getting in my way. So coworkers didn't like me. My bosses, to say the least, uh, had difficulties managing me. I remember one boss even saying, you know, our job is to protect Cam from himself. And then, you know, when I sought help, I was actually put on medication for bipolar disorder. And I started to realize, wow, if I stay on this med, I'm going to need to take more and more um, dosage to keep me where I'm at. And eventually, I'm going to have to take um, the stuff to keep me at where I was before I started the med. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, okay, this is not the route because it's already challenging being this intense and crazy and then being addicted to a drug that's just going to, all it can do is maintain that uh, intensity and craziness. And I'm really going to have to do something on myself to change uh, my path and my course. So I'd love to hear some of those steps you took to reclaim that power for yourself. Okay, so one of the steps was, <clears throat> you know, when I was, for one day I was at Barnes and Nobles and I just happened to be in the audio section and there was these audio tapes and the title was Overcoming Fear or Managing Stress and Anxiety. And I'm like, okay, I need that. I can use that. So I bought them and I listened to them and they turned out to be affirmation scripts with some guided imagery. And I found them quite helpful. And, you know, back then I wasn't really into the whole development stuff. And I wasn't reading a lot of development books or listening to any of the experts. A few years later, I read a book and it was talking about affirmations again. And I'm like, oh, wow, I do that. And then I realized that it was actually a thing that a lot of experts were talking about. Hey, do affirmations. And then I'm like, okay, so what else is out there that could be helpful? And then I came across techniques like visualization. And, you know, when you think of self-affirmations and visualizations, a lot of time we associate it with books like The Secret, where they talk about using it for manifesting your life. 
And I think they're really great tools for manifesting your life, but they're also great tools for so many other areas. And I use self-talk quite a bit to help me just kind of manage myself. So if I was veering towards one direction too heavily, I would use a self-talk statement or set of statements to kind of bring myself back. So let's say, you know, a situation was coming up where I was just having a lot of intense anxiety. Then I would say things like, I'm calm and relaxed, or I am happy and at peace. And that would kind of guide me in a more different direction. Or if I was in a situation that was getting me really worked up or angry, I would use self-talk to kind of neutralize that in that moment. So using self-talk in this way, I was able to just kind of steer myself from going over the end in, in different directions. The same thing with visualization. Visualization is a little bit more challenging because you can't use it in the moment. But I was able to use visualization in, in ways outside of just manifesting, but in kind of creating an image of the person I wanted to be. But more importantly, using it as a form of guided imagery that could induce relaxation or induce trigger control of parts of my unconscious, that's just not possible in any other way. So if we you know, imagine a picture of being out in the beach or up in the mountains or just even sitting in the clouds, that imagery you know, will calm our heart, will reduce the intensity of our emotions. And it just happens naturally. And it's not something that could really be done as effectively in any other way. So I use a lot of visualizations to not only kind of create a picture of how I wanted to act and interact in a certain situation, but also to just create a little bit of calmness in the intensity that I was having. Fantastic. And I love what you shared about affirmations and visualizations. And for those who are listening to this and want a deeper dive on that, check out episode 50 of the show with Hal Elrod as he talked about those two things in particular. And so, but what I loved about your share, Cam, is that you were using these techniques to quiet your mind, to get you to a place where you were more focused and and more present. And so talk to us about the next step in your journey to becoming this world-renowned expert on the mind, memory, and productivity. So then I came across some uh, meditation techniques. You know, meditation was good. And, you know, there's all sorts of meditations that's out there. There's Vipassana, uh, where you're kind of focusing on sensations. There's a meditation technique where you're just trying to not have any thoughts or clear your thinking. And what I came across was a meditation technique where you're just allowing things to come up and notice them. So my thoughts are racing and my emotions are going out of control. Instead of trying to manage or suppress or to control it, to allow it to to come up. And what I under uh, started learning from that experience is that, you know, our emotions and our thoughts are the bridge between our unconscious, our conscious mind. So our emotions are, and our thoughts are our unconscious's way of communicating with the conscious. It's there to try to give you advice or guide you. So when we get intense anxiety, the unconscious is saying, hey, the situation is threatening. Either fight or flight or freeze, you know? Or if you're, you know, getting all these crazy thoughts or rapid fire thoughts, it's saying, okay, 
there's an intensity going on that I want you to prepare for. And what's interesting is that through this, the unconscious is wanting us to pay attention to these things. And when we avoid them, when we try to distract ourselves from them, when we try to suppress these feelings, but what happens is they get stronger. And it's because the purpose of the emotion or the thoughts are to communicate. And when you're not listening, they're going to try harder. It's like a child. You know, when they're trying to get attention and we ignore them, they just get more bouncy and more hyper. And so through this technique, I learned to be able to sit with this um, intensity and pay attention to it, pay attention to what was communicating to me. And this was really the key to really understanding what's going on internally in our minds and our bodies. I got a lot of communication, a lot of feedback of, of how we operate. So this was really kind of the start of my journey into um, the stuff that I started writing about. Fantastic. And so for you, and there's a lot of science behind these things. Uh, They've studied the impact of visualization and affirmations and and meditations, but it was really that combination of the three. It was the affirming, it was visualizing, and then learning uh, what sounds to me like a mindfulness technique is what it sounds like you described uh, in concert together was really what got you into this place where you're in today, which is amazing. So we don't get a lot of heavy into a lot of heavy science on the show, but take the listeners through, take everybody through the basic concepts of learning and memory. And we'll start there. Okay. So when it comes to memory, one of the things I try to teach people is not to rely on their natural memory to remember things. So as people will get a great idea or come across valuable advice or an important instruction or a painfully obvious fact, and we think that it'll just be too great and too valuable and too important or too obvious to forget. But sure enough, we forget. And not only do we forget the thought or idea, but we forget that we, we even had one in the first place. And so what happens? We do it again. We get an even greater idea or even more valuable advice and think that this time it's too great and too valuable to forget. And sure enough, we forget again. And so the mind is built to forget. It's hard to believe, but as people, we have systems in place to make us forget. And there's all sorts of reasons why we forget. For one, we just come across too much information on a day-to-day basis. And two, uh, some memories are just too painful to remember. So thinking about them create overwhelming anxiety and difficulty. So as a defense mechanism, the mind will block such memories so we can focus on what's important in the moment. But there's another reason that we forget that uh, a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, we're a complicated set of systems and we have certain systems And for them to do what they're designed to do, they'll make us forget. For example, one of our systems is habits. Habits are designed to keep us in a routine. And in their efforts to keep us in a routine, they'll do everything that they can to make sure that, you know, we continue in that old pattern. And so habits are extremely sly. They have all sorts of tricks to keep us in our old patterns. And one of those tricks is making us forget. So I'll give you an example. If Let's say you read a great book on getting organized and you have all this fantastic advice that's going to kind of get you uh, in in new shape. But the problem is your old habits, you have old habits of being messy and those old habits aren't going to give up easy. 
they're going to do everything that they can to make sure that you forget all that great information you learn. So you don't even think about putting them into place. So does that make sense? It absolutely does. And, and it's interesting too. I, I think a lot of people have heard the concept of you know, repressing painful memories and not being able to remember things, but not all memories are painful. Right. And I, I think you, you pointed out two very interesting things that you know, our brains are constantly filtering out information because there's just so much coming into us from all different types of sensory input. Right. But then the, the, the other piece to this is that, you know, and this is why people fail in their hobbies, so, or their habits rather, when they're trying to change them, the brain is wired for homeostasis. Right. And so, you know, thank you for pointing that out because I think it's essential for people, particularly people are going to be hearing this very, very early in 2019, working on their goals. It's important to understand that the brain is wired to not change the things that are going on in your, in your life. Exactly. And in order to keep that homeostasis, they will do different things. And one of them is to make you forget. And um, I personally believe that as humans, we have all sorts of reasons why we do and don't do things or why we can't get certain things done. But I think in one way or another, it gets manifested through forgetting. So habits is one system that will keep us in homeostasis. Fears are another um, our beliefs are another. So they're all kind of in one way or another using the fact that, hey, let's just make this guy forget the change. And then he won't even think about putting this change into practice. And then we can stay the way we were and, and you know, continue doing what we're doing. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. I want to shift gears a little bit because now we're, we're starting to talk about why the brain protects us and, and why it forgets things. But obviously, you know, as we get older, memory and weaknesses involving memory is something that happens increasingly. And, and for some, unfortunately, to a debilitating degree. Talk to us about techniques, strategies, and things that we can begin doing so that we can remember things more effectively. Sure. And so before I get started with that, I'd just like to point out that when I talk about techniques, I really like focusing on things that are simple. And I think a lot of times as people, we think if we have a big or debilitating problem, then we need a big and difficult solution. But that couldn't be further from the truth. If we have a large or difficult problem, then more than likely we need a solution that's simple, the one a, a solution that we can apply easily. It's applying a technique that's going to give us results, not procrastinate on something that just because it feels too big or too daunting. And so one of the best techniques I can give to people to improve their memory is doing a daily review at the end of the day of everything that happened to them during that day. So, you know, once they come home from work or as they're about to retire to bed, 
just spending five minutes just thinking about everything that happened throughout the day, everything that occurred or everything that transpired. And starting from, you know, from the time they woke up to the breakfast they had and who they had breakfast with and what they talked about during breakfast. And then moving on to what they did next, whether it was they went to work, what they did at work, who they interacted with, like being very detailed about it. And this is one of the best ways to improve our memory because the more we do this, the more the brain naturally realizes, hey, I need to, I'm going to be called on to remember such information. So during the day, it's going to work harder to record that information. And it's just be a natural process. The brain will just become more attentive and more um, aware that, hey, this, is need, this needs to be remembered. And then when the person does their recall at the end of the day, it reinforces that memory even further. But what I really like about this technique is that it also enhances concentration because we can't remember information unless it's been received. And, unless, and that information can't be received unless we are aware and paying attention to it. So if the mind knows it's going to be called on to remember such information, it's just going to be much more aware of what's going on on a day-to-day basis. And it's just a natural thing. You don't have to work at it and try to apply techniques to every information that comes your way. All one person has to do is spend a few minutes near the end of the day calling all the events to mind and the rest just naturally kind of take place or just happen on its own. I love that. I love that. And so that's one technique that anybody can do and it sounds like a very simple one indeed. Talk us through another strategy that you often teach people what what they can use to better improve their memory. Sure. Another strategy strategy is uh, I like to teach is visualization. So for humans, our primary or dominant sense is sight. For dogs, it's smell. For bats, it's sound. But for humans, we remember pictures, places, and faces far better than any other information. And I can give a couple examples. So I bet you remember your childhood home, like where the living room and the dining room were and all the furnishing quite accurately. You probably don't remember the address or the phone number of that location. Or you could probably get a good image in your head of the neighborhood you lived in, but you probably don't remember the, the, the names of the streets. And usually when we forget people, we forget their names, not their faces. You never really hear people saying, oh, I remember your name, but not your face. So all of these examples illustrate that seeing is really important for our memory. And so what I ask people to do is to visualize information that they want to remember. And they can visualize simple or even complex stuff. For example, if somebody you know, gives me a phone number, what I'll do is I'll try to see the phone number either written or spelled out. And maybe I'll try to kind of elaborate it by seeing it on a billboard or seeing it uh, as a, the intro to a movie. Or I might actually see myself typing the phone number in on the phone or see myself writing the phone number down. And this act of seeing engages the visual senses. And as I said, our visual senses are the most dominant. In fact, uh, I think I read a statistic that 50% of the brain's processing power is used to process visual information. And so we're going to record, we're going to be able to remember it for much longer. 
So like I said, a technique can be used for simple information or complex. So if we want to remember a novel that we're reading, so instead of just reading the text and thinking that it will be ingrained, visualize what it is you're reading. Visualize the characters in detail. Visualize the scenery. Visualize the plot as it's unfolding. Or if your audience members are reading a how-to manual or uh, instructional book, to visualize the instructions. They can even visualize them doing the instructions as they're reading it. And then that'll ingrain those instructions even more. And visualization can be kind of really used with anything, even a process. For example, let's say I get a new job and I need to understand the process of how raw materials turn into the final product in my company. So I can just picture the process from one step to the next to the next. So I can picture um, all the raw materials coming in from the different suppliers. And maybe I'll even picture them putting it on the truck and the truck coming into the factory. And then I'll picture all the raw materials going through production. And then I'll picture the final product being put on trucks and shipped out to the sellers or vendors. And just creating that visual picture will help me remember that process much more than if it was written down, like step one is this happens and step two is that happens. And um, I'll just give one more way visualization can be used is to remember instructions. So if somebody gives me a set of instructions, I'll visualize either myself or the instructions being done from one step to the next. So if I'm learning, let's say, how to use a new software, you know, and what I'm reading is saying, okay, first open the software, open this file, upload this, and this is what you'll get. Type this in. I'll actually just see my, I'll picture myself doing that. And that I find does huge doubt in ingraining all of that information into memory. I love that. And that's actually a really perfect way to segue into learning itself because learning is different from remembering. And so, you know, you're describing breaking a complex set of processes like learning a new software and using visualization to help remember it. But for those of us who are trying to learn how to do a new skill or do something that's complex and maybe it's part of their job or maybe it's it's not, talk to us about how we can learn tasks more efficiently. Okay, so have you heard of the concept of um, learning styles? Yes, but let, let's talk through it a little bit. Okay, so let's say that there that as humans we have three different um, three dominant type types of learning style. There's the auditory, there's a visual, and then there's the kinesthetic. So auditory learners tend to learn best when they read and hear information. Well, when they can hear the information, it really just connects with them at a level where they can put the information to use. Visual learners, they can read and hear and be told and instructed all day long, but unless they see it, then the connection won't be made. So either through a diagram or to have somebody do it. So with visual learners, they actually need to see it happening or to see the information being planned out. And then kinesthetic learners, they can read, hear, and see, but unless they actually do it or take action on it, they'll not only be able to understand it, but they won't be able to remember it either. And so, you know, a lot of people talk about, hey, you should really figure out your um, dominant learning style. But I say, actually use all of them. 
figure out a way to because just because one learning style is dominant doesn't mean that the other won't benefit. It'll, it'll still be benefit. It's just that one is more useful for a particular type of person. Give us an example of that. So, for example, let's say um, I'm reading some advice. I think it might be useful. And so instead of just thinking that reading the information will help me go out and do it, it might help me to go on YouTube and get some videos on the content so I can better understand what is being talked about. And then actually go out and apply it and actually do it and see how um, it feels in the body to work this principle. So in this kind of, it's a kind of a small, short example, but we get to not only hear and read it, but we get to see it and then we go out and apply it in our lives. And then from that, we'll be able to understand it and connect with it, you know, internally, and then also remember it longer. So in essence, the multisensorial input not only helps us process and, and learn it easier, but we get to remember it more efficiently as well. Exactly. Because if you think about it, you know, we come from a period of time where there was no TV, there was no YouTube, and there wasn't even writing. And so how, was, how did we learn things? We were doing it. People came up and instructed things, and then we had to go out and do it and develop that skill. It was all through action. And right now we've just, we're in a phase of civilization where we can see so much information or we can hear it through podcasts and through YouTube channels and whatnot. But unless we're taking that extra step to apply that information and, you know, integrating in a way that we are built to, then it's going to be hard to really understand the content as well as gain benefit from it. That makes, that makes perfect sense. And I want to shift because I know productivity is one of your three pillars that you help people with. So talk to us about, now, now that we've kind of set the table with some of this information, share with us some of your top techniques that people can utilize to become more productive in their day. Okay, so one of the things about us humans is that we're always in motion. We always need to be doing something. You know, we can't really sit still, which is why it's so painful to be on a bus for two hours or why we hate being on a flight for whatever. And when I say we always need to be engaged is that, you know, we're either watching something on our phone or we're talking or we're doing. And so the body's built to move and be active, but it's hard to get it to do things that we want to because we get distracted uh, by other things. And so let's say we have a goal or a project or whatever, we might, you know, spend one hour on it and then get distracted by for three or four hours on a couple other things. And so one of the things I teach people is just to cut out, like remove everything else from your life that's going to be a hindrance to what it is you're trying to do and achieve. And if you can do it effectively, like if you have strong enough discipline to keep yourself away from these other tasks, your body's need to be engaged and active will naturally veer you towards the thing that you're trying to do. Does that make sense? It does. There's been a lot of research that's come out in in recent years. uh, And Jay Papasan talks about this. And the one thing is that multitasking is a myth. And a lot of people kind of have as a badge of honor, like they've got 70 monitors in their workspace and they can do all kinds of things at once. Yeah. 
you're reiterating the fact that that's just simply not true, right. that we need to focus on one thing and, and remove distractions. Yeah. So I think if we can spend more time on resisting distractions, then there's going to be like this vacuum that's going to be created where we need to fill that time or our um, need for engagement. And then we'll naturally be led to the thing that we're trying to get done or be productive with. And give us, give us another, give us another, that, that's an awesome one. And I, and I, as I said, I, you know, that's been researched a lot. So I was really happy to hear you share that. Yeah. Give us another one of your top productivity hacks. Uh, one of my go-to technique is always self-talk. And so one of the self-talk statements that's helped me be really productive is I'm affirming statements that guide me in a direction to be more productive. So for a long time, I had a self-talk statement that I repeated every day, at least 10 times a day. And it was, I'm a do-it-now person. I do things now. I get things done right away. And um, over the years, that's evolved now to, I accomplish everything quickly, easily, and effortlessly. And as long as I'm repeating those statements, then you know it's seeping into my mind and it's changing my beliefs and it's making me become the person that I have repeated. So I just naturally become a more attentive and productive person. I love that. And again, so timely as people are resetting their goals and trying to make changes to have these techniques that they can utilize to give themselves the edge in doing that. Yeah. Cam, I, I loved our discussion today and, and you have dropped so many nuggets of great information that people listening to this can utilize. Uh, as you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guests their biggest helping. And that is, what is the single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after listening to our conversation today? Okay. So, you know, having traveled um, quite a bit, I've had a really interesting opportunity to see the Western and even American culture from an outside perspective. And it was really nice because, you know, when we're in a specific environment or situation, we're not kind of seeing what is excessive or what is too much or what is helpful and what isn't. But having seen it from a third person or outside perspective, I mean, it's, it's clear to see that we're not just America, but a lot of Western society is become a society of consumption. And I don't mean products. But what I mean is content. And when you look at all the television channels there are producing all those shows. And not only that, but now we have Netflix and Amazon and even Facebook producing um, shows. There's just so much content available to us that's so readily at our disposal. And it's not just uh, shows, but also um, a lot of personal development. There's just so much with podcasts and YouTube channels and self-publishing. And I don't think anything of that's bad. I think it's great. But it's easy to get into the habit of just consuming content and not actually taking action on it. And which is why I like the setup of your show where at the end you have uh, that nugget that you give to people because it's something that they can act on. So my biggest advice is it's all about doing. It's not about necessarily gaining the knowledge because knowledge helps us learn, but doing is what's going to help us grow. So I would recommend people who are listening to this podcast or who are seeking content, whether it's from my books or other books, really try hard to put that information into practice like right away. And if they can do that, they'll find that they'll get much more growth uh, and much quicker 
than um, if they didn't put it into practice. I love that. I absolutely love that. Cam, where can people find you? So they can find me at mindlily.com. It's M-I-N-D-L-I-L-Y.com. And I've got a bunch of free resources for your audience, free reports on improving memory and concentration and even speed reading. And if they sign up to my newsletter, they'll get a free book titled Triple Your Reading, Memory and Concentration in 30 Minutes. And I've got, I'm finishing up a book right now, which should come out by next year. It's called Concentration, Maintain Laser Shop Focus and Attention for Stretches of Five Hours or More. So just to be, so just to look out for that. Yeah. And, and I think we're going to do another episode just on that because we can definitely talk for a long time about focus and concentration, which I know will be of benefit to so many people. Yeah. Cam, thank you for all of that and, and everything that you just talked about, and including those freebies, which we want everybody to get a hold of. We're going to make sure we'll have all the links for that at thedailyhelping.com as well as in the Daily Helping app. But I really appreciate you coming on. This was a really neat discussion. Thanks so much, Cam. No problem. Thank you very much, Dr. Richard. And I want to thank each and every one of you who tuned into this really interesting episode. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps others find the podcast. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for someone else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others.